Welcome to session 19 of the Bible in a Year commentary. If you started the series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 19th of January. Today we'll be looking at Exodus 7 to 9 and Psalm 19. So far in Exodus, we've read how the Israelites, the descendants of Jacob, grew in number and then were oppressed in Egypt. Amidst this darkness, Moses is born, saved by his mother's quick thinking and adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. As a grown man, Moses kills an Egyptian to protect an Israelite and is forced into exile. In the wilderness, we read as he married a shepherd girl and then encounters God in a burning bush. God identified himself as Yahweh and tasked Moses with liberating the Israelites. Yet Moses comes up with excuse after excuse for why he shouldn't be the one to save the Israelites. And we get the first time God is described as angry. But God, being merciful, allows for Aaron, Moses' brother, to go with him and make up for Moses' failing. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they tell him to release their fellow Israelites. But instead, Pharaoh takes this as a personal insult and further oppresses the Israelites with more work. When the people of Moses complain to God, he reassures them that he will bring them out of slavery. We then get a brief genealogy as a recap of how we got here. The tribe that gets the most focus is Levi, as this is the tribe both Moses and Aaron are from. So let's jump in at Exodus 7 to 9. Today's reading has one of my favourite stories. Moses and Aaron are visiting Pharaoh, and to show they are from God, Aaron throws his staff down and it turns into a snake. The magicians of Egypt came and also turned their staffs into snakes. These guys had a real power. Through their spells and incantations, stuff that the Bible associates with the demonic, they were able to perform this miraculous feat. But as soon as the staffs have been turned into snakes, Aaron's snake eats them all up. I believe this story has a lot to teach us about the demonic today. As Christians, we can fall into two different traps when it comes to the demonic. The first is that we can believe it's not real or it's not that big a deal. But just as these magicians had very real power, I believe demons and demonic forces are very real today. By ignoring them or pretending that they don't exist, we risk leaving our defences down when we need to have them up. The second trap we can fall into is believing that the demonic is too powerful for us and that we should be afraid. While the demonic is real, its power is nothing compared to what we have through the Holy Spirit as Christians. In the same way that Aaron's snake was able to eat the magician's snake, no problem. We can have confidence that the Holy Spirit in us is stronger than any demonic forces that come against us. We don't have to wrestle or fight against them. We merely stand in the truth of who we are in God. But back to Exodus, we then have the first few waves of plagues. What's interesting is that each of the ten plagues addresses a different Egyptian God. The Egyptian gods were in charge of different areas. But the plagues were there to show that God is more powerful than the Egyptian gods in every area. So the first plague, we have the water turned into blood. This is reference to Happy, the god of the Nile. The second, frogs come from the river. Is Heket, the goddess of fertility and water. She had the head of a frog. Third is gnats from the dust of the earth. This is Geb, god of the earth. Swarms of flies was Kepri, god of creation and rebirth. He had the head of a fly. The death of cattle and livestock related to Hathor, goddess of love and protection. Her animal form was a cow. Boils and sores was related to Isis, goddess of medicine. The hail that fell from the sky was Nut, goddess of the sky. Locusts from the sky was Seth, god of storms and disorder. The three days of darkness was against Ra, the god of the sun. And the death of the firstborn was actually against Pharaoh, who was considered god over life and death of his subjects. Now, if you read different scholars and writers, they might disagree about the specific gods associated with each plague. 
But the main overall message is clear. God, Yahweh, is greater than any Egyptian god. Through these plagues, we see God harden Pharaoh's heart. We might think that's unfair, but God forces Pharaoh to disobey him and then punishes him for it. But for the first five plagues, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So God had given him plenty of chance. While the magicians of Egypt were able to mimic the first two plagues, by the third, their magic was no longer powerful enough. Even they realised that these plagues are from God. Then, by the sixth plague, they can't even stand before Moses because of the boils that they had received. It's also interesting that to begin with, Aaron is the main guy who's actually doing the plagues. God tells Moses, and Moses tells Aaron, and Aaron does it. But as we read through the plagues, God does a few himself, and then Moses starts to become the main guy. Almost as though God is easing Moses into taking full leadership of what he has commanded. So let's jump in with Psalm 19. This psalm is attributed to King David and falls into the category of wisdom psalm. These psalms focus primarily on sharing wisdom with the reader and offer reference to Torah or God's law. Here is a summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description to see the structure properly for yourself. So we start off in verses 1 to 6, nature declares God's glory. Verses 7 to 11, scripture declares God's goodness. Verses 12 to 14, the psalmist ponders how their life declares God's praise. The psalmist opens with a powerful truth. All creation declares God's glory. It is constantly calling out as an example of his handiwork. While this creation may not have words to speak, its message is clear. There is a creator, God. Perhaps the pinnacle of God's creation is the sun, as it provides life and light to all. As the psalmist moves into the next section of the psalm, they focus on God's law, the scriptures. Well, the first half of the psalm talks about God, the second half uses God's name, Yahweh, which is often translated as Lord or capitals. Nature declares that there is a God, but scripture tells you his name and his nature. So the psalmist goes on to list all the characteristics of God's law, and there's a good number here. We get Yahweh's law is perfect, it revives the soul. Yahweh's law is a trust testimony, makes the simple wise. Yahweh's laws are right instructions, they rejoice the heart. Yahweh's law is a pure commandment, it enlightens the eyes. The fear of Yahweh's law is clean. It endures forever. Yahweh's laws are a righteous set of rules. Yahweh's laws are worth more than gold. Yahweh's laws are more pleasant than honey. Yahweh's laws. Yahweh's law warns his servant to avoid danger or sin and rewards those who keep it. So having observed nature in scripture, the psalmist now looks inwardly at how their own life declares Yahweh's goodness. They ask the Lord to search them, to point out their faults, they don't want to be guilty of anything unknowingly and dishonour God's name. Psalmist ends asking that the state of their words and hearts be acceptable before God. As we look to the awesomeness of nature and the goodness of scripture at the psalmists, we're then there to look inwards, to ask God to help us better declare his glory through our lives.